0: Intrepid listeners, welcome to the Unnaturalist's podcast, an adventure in speculative biology. I'm your host, uh, your curator. I'm Evan.
1: I'm Tora. I'm your scientist who does not belong here. You, what? Do yes, you do belong here. You're the only... We've like, established this. You're the only one who has any reason to be here. Yeah. I am a comparative immunologist, not somebody who stays anatomy or physiology.
0: You've still helped to uh, answer a whole lot of questions. And also, your degree gives us legitimacy. You're, you're, you've got the bona fides. You know, you, you have to stay. You can't leave.
2: Okay. <laughs> huh And I'm Kim. That's Kim. I'm Kim. That's it. And that's good enough for me. Uh,
0: on this podcast, we take a scientific look. Oh wow, a scientific look at fantastical beings and try to puzzle out how their bodies work and how they move and how they eat and how they how they're put together. Whatever whatever we think is interesting about them. Uh, this episode is about fawns or satyrs, but we're going to say fawns. Don't know why. I've always preferred the term fawns over satyrs.
2: I kind of prefer the term fawn, too. And I also don't know why. It just sounds nicer, I guess. Yeah. I think it's more... We can, not to, like, dive right into it, but I think it's more traditionally associated with what we think of when we say fawn, because satyrs originated as something different, and the two oh, ideas kind of merged over time. I huh. didn't
0: know that, so you have to, like get into that yeah but what we're talking about is a, a humanoid with horns and with a uh, goat-like lower limbs and hooved feet um they're usually intelligent they're in all respects very humanoid but uh they got the horns they've got goat features to sometimes a greater or lesser extent sometimes they're like almost completely human, and then just have little hooves on the ends of their otherwise human feet. Uh, Sometimes they have horns, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have tails, sometimes they don't. But human with lower half goat features and often horns. Um, And they're a feature of Greek and Roman mythology, so a Mediterranean beastie
2: you going to dish out those rules before we get into it?
0: Yeah, so the rules are, uh, must have a physical corporeal form. We're talking about only things that physically exist, even if they only mythologically exist. Even if it has magical powers, it, we can't explain its anatomy with magic. And all the laws of nature and physics still apply unless it's specifically and exclusively from Somewhere that isn't an Earth analog. So I did research for this one too. I'm very proud. Of, very proud of myself. Uh, so bonds have a lot of anatomical features that are mostly just human, so they're not terribly difficult to explain. Uh, I think the real kicker is those legs. No though. pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> you did a funny. No,
2: you did a punny. I was just pointing it out.
0: Okay, fine. I genuinely didn't intend that to be a pun, but okay. Um, yeah, so they, in having goat legs, usually there's a few, like, sculptures. There's a, a famous sculpture of a fawn where he's a seg- essentially just a very attractive, beautiful young man, and he has horns, and that's it. But. I can see why
2: you would be aware of that.
0: <laughs> Wait, thanks for calling me out. But... Oh, I'm just
2: saying, you know, it sounds like the kind of sculpture you would find very nice.
0: Yeah, it's very nice. He is. It's a very nice sculpture. He looks good. Um, no
2: goat legs, though?
0: No, he didn't have goat legs. But I think it is uh, more typical for fawns to have goat legs. And when I say that, I mean the bowed digitigrade legs like such that um most quadrupedal animals have uh it's like I've heard a lot of people describe it like if you have a house cat uh your house cat's back legs and I've heard a lot of people describe it as having backwards knees but that joint facing backward is not actually their knee it's they're essentially walking on their tiptoes and that's why it's called Digitigrade, or in the case of hooved animals, it's actually called unguligrade legs because they have they walk on their toes, but they have hooves. So anyway, yeah, that joint that's facing backwards is actually the heel and the ankle, and then the kneecap is in that bowed forward structure. So they're they're walking on their toes, and then their heel and ankle projects backwards. And then they have a much shorter, like, femur than humans have.
2: So the way, the way I had it described to me, which made the most sense, was that digitigrade, like, biped creatures were sort of, like, standing on their toes, yeah. essentially. And ungulagrade creatures, their toes were like their feet, and then the rest of their foot were like a third joint. That mm. extended upwards further.
1: Sorry, I'm making page noises here. I'm that's okay. For it that. makes us sound official. Theorously we're looking we're, through documents for scientific explanation. We're looking
0: for, through a real book and not Wikipedia. Internet.
2: Real ass <laughs> book.
1: <laughs> um, so, where the hell is that diagram? I had a really nice diagram of the uh, of the different bones. Well, Torah
2: looks for bone structures. Uh, the earliest instance I could find of fawns was in ancient Greece with the god Pan, mm. who was originally described more as entirely goat and bipedal, but then over time became a little more human characteristic based. Oh, so he
0: was like a goat that just yeah, walked around on his- he was like a goat his-
2: man and walked around on two hooves, but- Oh, so more like became half human. So
0: he started off more like the goat man Cryptid, where he was hairy all over and had a Mm -hmm. goat head and everything.
2: Yeah. Apparently well, possibly I should say, that he sort of became acquainted with the Roman god Faunus, who was usually portrayed a little more human so
0: i didn't know there was a whole other god who's also a yeah. goat man
2: <laughs> so they're yeah the two became very equivalent obviously over time because they existed around a similar time period at one point and those cultures greeks and romans they tended to merge a lot and have a lot of equivalencies between one another so apparently too, you don't get a lot of female forms which is something we'll get into later of it but the romans also had like a fauna who was like the female version of faunas so their god but apparently that was a thing that romans did with all gods maybe you can correct me on this evan i know you I didn't more, know that more about hmm. theology than i do i but... know that
0: um uh the deities tended to have in like a counterpart of some kind usually the opposite gender I shouldn't say opposite gender. Genders aren't opposites. Cats and dogs yeah. aren't opposites either. The the, the gender binaries bullshit. Um, but yeah, they tended to have like a married couple or a brother and sister who were counterpart deities, but usually they were in charge of different things.
2: Yeah. I read that the gods tended to have a gender complementarity, which was like of a a similar practice and idea. Hmm. So That's
0: interesting. Maybe just because like patriarchy <laughs> yeah. we just forgot that over time we were just like ah no uh, Apollo's the one who's in charge but
2: this is also where like satyrs came into play which was interesting satyrs around the same time usually referred to in art and things like that um characters which were portrayed as men with horse ears and tails that were companions of a very specific god called Dionysus? It oh, the Dionysus. Line. Dionysus, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. yeah. And, My boy uh,
0: Dionysus.
2: <laughs> over time, this whole idea of, like, wild men or half-beast, half-man creatures sort of merged together and became a more collective idea of fawns. Mm-hmm. But originally they were, they were separate. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. It probably has something to do with the fact that Dionysus? I'm saying. Dionysus. 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 Thank you. Dionysus is a bit similar to the idea of Faunus and Pan.
0: Yeah. He's they're, a party boy. Yeah.
2: They're all party gods. Huh. So... Why don't we also, have party
0: gods anymore? We
2: definitely should. And I didn't know this, but apparently Pan was also also the god of like nature and stuff like that, but also of theatrical criticism. No. <laughs> and apparently it's where we get the word panic from. Huh. And yeah, I
0: guess I mean if you're freaking out, yeah, like
2: <laughs> which I just thought were fun facts and had to share them.
0: That that is just very fun. Uh
2: huh.
0: But That's yeah, I I knew that uh, Pan's a party boy, um, lots of sex, drugs, and rock and roll up in so and so to a lesser extent, Fawns and Satyrs are also associated with like revelry and party and base instincts and like the animalistic nature of humans Uh and you know
2: all that rad stuff
0: all the rat all the good stuff in life you know anyway yeah i I was sorry i was super focused on like the digitigrade legs because i this is where i focused um it's
1: okay torah has the page open now yeah and i'm looking so are we going with goat?
0: Yeah, I think that's what people see in their mind's eye when you say a fawn. They picture, like, Mr. Tumnus. Like, James McAvoy as Mr. Tumnus in (laughs) (laughs) The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Recent theatrical... I guess it's not that recent. I'm old now. Oh, boy. But yeah, so, sort of, like, waist down, they've got a a goat-like configuration, and waist up, they have a human configuration. The... Challenge with that is that there are digitigrade bipeds like birds and like dinosaurs. We're going back to dinosaurs again, we love dinosaurs on this show. But, um, that hind limb structure is more suitable to uh, a body plan that like bends forward, so like. If you imagine any bipedal dinosaur walking, they have large tails to sort of counterbalance their, the front part of their bodies, which leans far forward. It's kind of...
1: I think you just... Uh, I mean, we haven't been too particular about the evolution of anything so far, so... Uh, I mean, I think you just adjust the pelvis and the spinal column a bit and you're, yeah, you're fine. I,
0: yeah, I... So, the the only only thing I think you'd have to adjust is that they just have to have, like, longer femurs than most digitigrade animals. They just have to have, like, they, they wouldn't have that dramatic bow curve in their legs. They can still, like, walk on hooves and just have, like, longer, straighter femurs right. that are stacked. Sort of like ostriches or something. Although ostriches bend forward, too. As far as having horns, this is bizarre, but there are humans who grow horns, like uh, Tell us more. Cutaneous, cutaneous horns, I think they were called. And yeah. this is not, it's not, it's, it's not like a normal feature of human biology, but so antlers are like horn-like structures that shed every year and then grow back. But horns have a a bone base, like a, a venous bone, like, substructure. And then they're covered in keratin the rest of the way up. So they've got, like, a keratin sheath on them. And if you imagine, like, Vikings, like, drinking out of horn cups, that's the keratin exterior that, you know, when the tissue degrades, that kind of, like, falls off. So, Keratin's
2: like in your nails and
0: stuff. Yeah, it's like what your fingernails and hair is made out of. Um, and so, of course, humans have keratin. We produce keratin. In some cases, in like some people, keratin production can just go wild for some reason. It's it's just like a like a defect basically, and you can like grow a keratin like projection from your skin.
2: I remember stumbling upon this as well. It was really interesting. It's real weird. For some reason, it also tends to be localized, like around people's faces and hands. I don't mm. know why that is. But... Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe it's because your hair is already keratin, and you already have keratin uh, on your. Maybe, maybe it's just closer. But yeah, so
2: it's three... It's more of like a tumorous growth.
0: Yeah, flow. it is. Yeah, it's it's not the same as, like, on a goat or something, uh-huh. where their- their body's designed to have that. But um, they are
2: horns, and they are on people. Yes,
0: they are. So it would not be terribly difficult for, a like, a primate- it's not as though that's a feature specific to, like, ungulates or whatever. Like, a- a primate could grow horns if it really wanted to.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it had a real reason to.
0: Yeah, so what is the reason?
2: Mating display. <laughs> <laughs> like everything else in the Animal Cake dub, it's just to attract mates.
0: Yeah, that's sort of, that's a very weird thing about nature. Like I mentioned uh, in the, the Griffin episode, animals will go to incredible evolutionary lengths to, like, produce features that are just to make the ladies horny like the birds especially they've they've come up with wild wild wit also a slightly more practical thing about like sexual uh sexual selection things uh i remember reading this is that in cases where you have animals that are uh very similar like very similar members of the same uh very similar species, rather. Uh, by and large, they have better success mating within their own species, so they develop weird structures, distinctive structures, to make them different from similar species, so that they don't accidentally interbreed with members of opposite species, and are, then they end up more likely to have, like, inviable young and stuff like that. Sometimes... Uh, Similar animals can crossbreed with each other, but in cases with like like horses and donkeys, you end up with a mule, which is then infertile.
1: Or those so, ligers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, most of most of these hybrids happen only in um, unnatural conditions, like in captivity. Um, and then there's a bunch of other barriers too. I think these are called technically called uh, barriers to hybridization, and they'll be like even differences in uh sperm and egg structure or um or chemicals that they release yeah it's a it's, uh, buck wild
0: yeah so in the case of birds in particular like some of the really extravagant uh, like mating display features they have are partly to distinguish them from other birds mm. that also have extravagant mating display features, but theirs has to be a really specific color or a really specific shape so that the females don't accidentally mate with some other species of bird and, like, exhaust themselves or produce infertile young or whatever. Interesting. Which, in the case of, like, horned humanoids, ain't working. Like, everybody's <laughs> everybody's horny for tieflings, everybody's- <laughs> Everybody wanted to party with the fawns. Yeah. They're, like, a really... In mythology, they're very, like... They're associated with sexuality, mm-hmm. and...
1: But, hopefully, nobody really wants to party with other great apes.
0: Yeah. Which are, yeah. which
1: would no. there would be a much easier hybridization. Yeah, so why would you say that?
2: No, well, I don't want to think about that. Yeah. Bring back the fawns. This is so, where they invented fawns.
0: I want to... I'm gonna I'm gonna share something with you all, and we didn't do a horrifying animal fact like science fact last episode, so I'm gonna make up for it and share a horrifying oh, animal science no. fact with you. It's it's not quite what you think. Um, so every uh, I don't want I don't know about every, but lots and lots of mammals have their own type of lice. Um, so basically, every hair structure. Every body plan creates an environment for lice, and then they they adapt to that specific animal. So pretty much every every animal with fur that is hospitable to lice has its own companion species of lice. Uh, Humans have uh, two species of lice. We have head lice and we have pubic lice, and we're kind of unique in that way because... We have really different hair types on different parts of our bodies. So our head hair is very fine. So one type of lice lives in our hair and then a different type of lice lives in our body hair or pubic hair. But our body lice is almost identical to gorilla lice. Huh. So, and that only like lice would only have, Grown Like, either we got the body lice from the gorillas, or the gorillas got the body lice from us, because they're so, so similar that the theory is their evolution diverged, like, very recently. And uh, when I say that, I mean not recently, like, historically, but recently on the scale of evolution. Mm. So, like, it was millions of years ago, but it was recently relative to all the other lice developing for different creatures. So... The theory to explain this is essentially that we were we were fucking gorillas, like as early oh. as early hominids. We were we were crossbreeding with other oh uh, no I don't primates. like that. So uh,
2: I don't like this horrifying science fact.
0: It. <laughs> well, it's I mean I, it's a real theory, and it's because our like our head lice are not in any way related to I would say lice. that the
1: more likely explanation is the same explanation as to how. Um, HIV got from Great Apes into us, which is uh, bush meat. which is, so the lice on the gorilla were, you know, like, ah, shit, my, my host is dead, and then they jumped from the gorilla to the human.
0: That's also, I mean, that's also possible, but I'm not a scientist, so, I, like, I didn't, I swear I didn't come up with this theory to be weird, like, I, I there was an episode of of SciShow about it, and they had like sources and stuff. And apparently, this okay. is a real academic theory. And also, bear in mind this isn't like modern humans. Right. This right. is this is early hominids, mm-hmm. and there were at an early period in humanoid evolution, there were a ton of different like upright apes walking around. There, yeah. there was uh, like there were several like family trees that just died off uh, or evolutionary trees that just died off of like great apes like especially bipedal apes and we're the ones who survived but earth was lousy with large bipedal apes at some point so
2: yeah i guess when you really think about it it's not that horrifying yeah there have been so many different types of hominids yeah so
0: to be clear i'm not positing that uh like modern uh, yeah. humans were were yeah. fucking gorillas yeah. i'm positing a that a long, a recent long, human long ancestor yeah a recent human ancestor and i again recent on the evolutionary scale yeah. was like it, getting real cozy with gorillas
1: <laughs> hmm. also have you heard of lumpers versus splitters in anthropology no no okay so um my lab mate uh, has her masters in anthropology, and she talks about lumpers versus splitters. Like a bunch of anthropologists, sometimes make up new species of early hominids, uh, you know, so that they can make their own. Oh yeah! But there's a bunch that this is my really this is my OC <laughs> <laughs> But in case my my uh, lab mate is a lumper, not a splitter.
0: So what is like?
1: What does that mean? Exactly what does that mean? Um, means that you you pretty much group similar quote-unquote species or subspecies into... They were probably the same species. Uh, in okay. the same way that you so, could take a skeleton from certain parts of the world and uh, compare it to... I mean, human skeletons from certain parts of the world and compare it to another human from a different part of the world and sometimes argue that, oh, this could be a different species and it's not.
0: Oh, yeah, because humans are extremely... Point. Humans have, like, very, very little genetic diversity, right? Because we had like, an evolutionary bottleneck. So, like, compared to other animals.
1: Maybe so. I, I'm not an anthropologist.
0: Um, yeah, okay, I understand what you mean now. Everybody wants to have, quote-unquote, discovered a new species of right. early hominid, but it's actually just, like, minor variations in the same species.
2: Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. So fawns.
0: Yeah, (laughs) we got way out there for a minute. Oh, we were on what is the purpose of the horns, and... Mm
2: -hmm. uh, Mating was the general. I mean, we could also use them to hit our heads together, I suppose. (laughs) Not too hard, but lightly. Yeah,
0: humans don't have the sort of skull structure that would allow us to, like, headbutt each other for dominance.
2: Speaking of hominids, I don't see why fawns couldn't just have a stronger head structure Mm -hmm. designed for that sort of thing if they wanted to there's lots of different kinds of horns too that fawns are portrayed with so you have like the short little ones in the front sometimes they've got like curly ones sometimes they're more towards the back of the head and they're like moving backwards Mm
1: -hmm. i want to see
0: a a fawn with like big ibex horns you know (laughs) like huge gazelle horns looking very dramatic like loki Uh
1: (laughs) yeah there's also a bunch of um you know ungulates? Are they ungulates? The the deer guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that have little teeny tiny horns. And you're like, what's the point of that?
0: It's cute. I like yeah, it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's cute. Like a a dick dick. Is that the little, oh yeah, yeah, tiny yeah. Guys?
0: But huh? yeah, I think in most ungulate species that have horns, um, the horns don't serve a ton of purpose. It's mostly like a sexual selection thing. Mm-hmm. Like they don't they they sometimes use them to like rub the bark on trees, but that's also a mating thing. They sometimes use them to defend themselves. They, like, you can... Some species will use them to, like, gore predators in a an emergency situation. But I think even in those cases, it's another case, like, with birds, where, like, the different horn shape is an indicator of different species so that different gazelles don't accidentally mate with each other. So, I guess... Fawns have them to be like, "Hey humans, we're a different species, by the way." <laughs> just saying, like, I know you're, I know you're horny for fawns, yeah. but um, just FYI, look, we're we're structured differently. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Uh huh. Take note.
2: <laughs> do you think the female fawns have horns also?
0: Uh, I like the idea that they do. What I read is that in cases where the, the horns aren't a disadvantage, so if the the animal is large and is already very visible to predators and is big enough to defend itself, the females are more likely to have horns. But in species where they're smaller and more subject to predation, uh, it's more likely for only the males to have horns. And that's because it makes them more visible to predators, like at a distance, if you're on like a flat plane and you see something sticking up in the distance, the lions are like, oh shit, yeah, there's a gazelle over there, I'm gonna get
2: it. Interesting.
0: But so... like with water buffaloes that have a very large body mass, the the males and females both have horns and they're of the same size.
2: Do we think fawns are generally of the same size as humans?
0: I think so, yeah. Maybe they're slightly smaller on... I don't know why I, f- I am thinking that. For some reason, I feel like They might be slightly smaller than humans.
2: In um, The only time I've ever seen them really be larger than humans, I think, would be Han's Labyrinth.
0: Oh, yeah. The fawn
2: in that is very large. Yeah. He's a tall boy.
0: Also, in um, uh, Carnival Row, that, that recent Amazon show, the... You the, just
2: dated our podcast. You said this recent Amazon show. Okay. Someone's going to listen to this years from now and be like, what, that old show, Carnival Row? Well,
0: we're we're recording this in <laughs> September of 2019. Here you go. <laughs> Eat it up. It'll be dated on the listing. Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's okay. In Carnival Row, the fawns are... Taller than humans, at least the the main one is, and that's just because they have to accommodate those very like weird leg structures. Yeah, they have,
1: they're humans on stilts. Yeah, they are. They're <laughs> humans
0: with weird goat legs. So, yeah, but um, I don't know. I I'm kind of into them being smaller than like maybe maybe I'm thinking that because goats are so much smaller than humans, and if you're scaling them to a goat's legs then their upper body would have to be a little bit smaller. Not dramatically smaller, but...
1: I kind of
2: like the idea of them being generally human-sized. Do you think that's large enough that the female fawns would have horns?
0: uh, I don't think humans and humanoids are subject to predation, because we're... Well, I mean, we are. Like, a tiger could definitely eat us if it wanted Mm to. but. Because we are intelligent and use tools and can build shelter and structures and stuff like that. And presumably because fawns are depicted as having human or near-human intelligence, they'd be in kind of a similar situation where they can, you know, climb a tree or build a spear or...
2: Play the
1: flute. Yeah,
0: play the flute. They can make... they can make the flute. They can make flutes, so...
1: Do you think they have really um, good digestion for tough plant material the same way that a goat does?
0: Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, I mean they have humanoid teeth and mouths.
1: Wait, are goats herbivores? Yeah. Do you think fawns are herbivores? No, I because I think they've got the omnivore teeth the way we do.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think their digestive system would be more similar to a human's because yeah, okay. we are
1: so they couldn't just like eat random leaves (laughs) the way that goat does
0: um yeah
1: i love pulling down branches for goats and the goats just go to town just strip the entire branch of its leaves we normally can't reach this yes (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) um but yeah
1: follow you around and love you
0: yeah but human mouths are uh you know we have a, we have some limitations on what we can eat. Like our our teeth aren't tough enough to eat like grass or whatever. Because grass, doesn't grass have something about its structure that really wears down teeth really quickly. I think it has
1: more to do with our digestion than mm. than um we're just not going to get a lot of nutrients out of it.
0: Um yeah, so I I assume they eat a similar diet to humans. The 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 relationship between fawns and goats I think is just like a coincidental aesthetic relationship because um, like they have horns and they have hairy digitigrade or unguligrade grade bottom half what's the point of the hair any any theories about on
1: the legs yeah
0: why they have hairy legs and not hair on their upper bodies
1: maybe they need to keep their um, lower bodies warmer for some reason and maybe mean, like mr. Tumnus. They live in snowy, mountainous areas.
2: Why
0: don't their upper bodies have hair, then?
2: Uh, They wear shirts.
0: (laughs) And then they're Donald-ducking it the rest of the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the reason why humans are hairless is uh, because we evolved um, sweating as Mm. a way to cool down. I Um, I
2: heard once that it was also because of the invention of, like, fire... You know, as a method oh. of keeping us warm? That we didn't I've, need I don't like, know about thermal that. regulation? We didn't need fur as much?
0: I don't know... I actually don't know how they deduce this about, like, early, like, Neanderthals and stuff. But those like, early humans are depicted as hairless and I know that we didn't invent fire until relatively recently. So... I I don't know. It...
2: Okay, well, why do you, why do humans have hair on their heads? I think it's still to keep your brain warm. So maybe fawns have hairy legs because their legs are very important somehow. Oh, because they they've got to... brains in their legs. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, just like humans have hair, like on their legs and on their arms, you know, because they're mm-hmm. limbs. I imagine, you know. And...
0: I think most of our body hair is vestigial at this oh. point. Like we don't. So.
2: I like to think that goats are trekking through the snowy mountains, <laughs> and that's why they need those hairy legs, because it's so cold and the snow is so high.
0: <laughs> or maybe it's because, so, uh, this is, this is from art, but I feel like fawns are very frig. so, fawns and nymphs, which are, like, tree and water spirits, hang out a lot in mythology. They, they party together. Mm-hmm fawns are very often depicted as frolicking by streams and ponds and things like that. Maybe they like maybe it's something to do with like standing in water. Like maybe they fish or maybe they Ah. use that as maybe they like this is a theory I'm just spitballing but like maybe they don't sweat and so they like soak the fur in the stream or something, like the way hippos sort of coat themselves in mud to cool down. Maybe it's a heat dispersal thing, or maybe it's like better at keeping their legs warm if they're standing in cold water to fish or something. In which case they
1: would probably have more like otter fur covering their legs.
0: Sure, Uh, I think it's usually... It's usually depicted as shaggy, but maybe that's just because we're assuming it's goat fur because they have goat like horns. And hooves. Mm-hmm. They do have hooves. Hooves are so having hooves also lends itself well to like the traversing streams thing because uh, it? well hooves are very dexterous. Like hooves are very good at uh like moving over rocks and stuff. That's that's why, I like, mountain goats, they have almost finger-like dexterity mm-hmm. in their hooves. They, they, they're very sure-footed. So uh, if you're... If you're walking through streams or, like, wading in ponds, uh, you're on rocky or silty surfaces that shift a lot. So I still haven't fully hashed out why they would need to be wading in water a lot, but that's the only thing I can come up with.
1: Maybe they fish.
0: Maybe they do fish. Or uh I don't know, maybe our theory with mermaids is that they spend some time in and some time out of water. Maybe uh fawns spend much more time out of water, but they they hang out like the water's important to their eating or reproduction or something i I like the
1: idea of them spending a lot of time in like waist high water and the furs basically like they're built in waders
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm I'm not totally sure the only other thing i could think of is like sort of the same reason that like humans still have pubic hair basically which is like for smell reasons which is a, like, a little gross to us as humans, but um, to most animals, uh, like the smell of another animal of your same species' body is very important to like mating and to identifying each other and stuff like that. So maybe they have fur on their lower halves more as a way to, like hold smell, essentially.
2: I mean, it's probably, like many things, many anatomical traits that we've discussed on this podcast, multi-purpose. Mm-hmm. So I think that could definitely potentially be one of them. Mm-hmm.
0: Other other lady fawns are real into that musky <laughs> uh-huh. smell. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. well, the, the male fawns, too, because presumably the female fawns would also have very... That's true.
0: Yes, yes, that's true. I just assume...
2: Yeah. <laughs> I like this.
0: Gender equality among fawns.
2: Uh-huh. Because apparently, I was just looking it up, but female goats, a lot of them have horns, too. Yeah. Mm. I did not know. So mm. that's cool. Makes sense. Um, maybe also for their hooves, goats
1: are very good at climbing. That has to do yeah. with their hooves, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Yeah, go- goats are actually pretty good at climbing. You see them in trees a decent amount of time. So maybe fonts
2: are really good climbers. Plus, they would have hands in addition to their goat-like hooves. Mm. So when you think about it, they'd probably be really good at climbing.
0: Yeah. Humans aren't especially good at climbing just because our fingers don't have a ton of strength. I mean, Uh climbers train themselves to be really good at climbing, but I don't think by the nature of our anatomy, humans are especially good climbers. Mm -hmm. um but yeah it would certainly help if you have very like dexterous hooves and then it'd it'd be great for like foraging and things like that if you have real good like strong mountain climbing hooves and then also hands and then also we're assuming that they like mermaids have near human intelligence and use their hands for like tool making and Mm -hmm. things like you said they got those reed pipes they're, yeah. they're making those they're making those musical instruments so they can party down <laughs> if they've got near human intelligence we got to assume that they've got some kind of social structure and culture also what's their deal what, what are they mean? doing
2: other than partying
0: yeah i mean they can't be partying 24/7 all the time uh no. they don't often have houses i don't think
2: I don't see why they wouldn't like if they were intelligent and they, although they are usually associated with like nature spirits and other sort of creatures like that so i mean maybe they live in nature you know all out there in the woods yeah why living do off we the need land. Houses? <laughs> well because i like internet right? <laughs> oh <laughs> uh
0: at a very basic level, I think it's just because we don't like being rained on. Also, yeah. like, that was our, our driving factor. We, we like being warm, and we don't like the rain.
2: Also, so. it's kind of for protection reasons, too, you know? Like, not just from other humans, but the from the elements and from
1: creatures and bugs. And- yeah. I mean... Wolves don't need houses, deer don't need houses, goats don't need houses. I mean, I'm
2: sure if we wanted to not have houses, we could survive that way very well, but why would we not want houses?
0: (laughs) Also, animals will go in houses if you give them houses. That's true. Like Dogs will go in houses to get out of the rain if you build a house for a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: So I suppose, though, if fawns, as a society, were more into the idea
1: of living in nature. It also yeah. occurs to me that, like, wolves do have dens.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And stuff. Yeah. Um,
0: maybe just as a culture, they have very different priorities than us. Maybe just, uh, like... Partying. S- yeah. <laughs> they gotta, you know, they keep I mean, trashing they, their houses, yeah. so why have them? <laughs> if
2: they had a house, they'd have to clean it up all the time after everyone got <laughs> drunk at the end of the day.
0: Um... There's also the possibility that the whole reason that they're into this party lifestyle is to sort of parasitize humans a little bit, you know? They're inviting us to parties out in the woods, and we're bringing the food, Ah, you know? They're
1: they're showing us a real good time. They're just a bunch of mooches?
0: Yeah. They're essentially college students. (laughs) (laughs) They're frat boys. All of the fawns are frat boys. But... About their culture, maybe they just, for spiritual, ideological reasons, or whatever, and this is not, it's hard to suggest that any intelligent species is homogenous about their priorities, but maybe just culturally, um, they think that houses are a waste of time and like being in nature is more important. Also, like, humans, come party in the wood with us rad time.
1: They don't mind being rained on.
0: Yeah, maybe they just don't care that much.
2: And I assume unlike mermaids they don't have ulterior sinister motives. They, don't... they actually just want to have a good time. Yeah. They don't
0: seem to. Yeah. Um I mean cats are kind of the same way. They kind of <laughs> well they they kind of like self-domesticated so that humans would feed them, you know? So maybe fawns are just like, "Hey, if we live near this town and just, you know, Act cheerful and get them in a get them in a party mood. They'll just bring us food and booze. <laughs> you know, if we if we just live close enough to them that they know we're here, and keep pushing them to party all the time. This is an advantage to us. That
1: sounds that sounds great. They sound like a lot of fun and also very exhausting.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> imagine an infestation of fawns near your town. <laughs> it's like, ugh this is <laughs> fun for like three weeks but man that's
1: that's exactly <laughs> the experience of living in a college town right yeah. <laughs> infestation feels like a bad word to use. <laughs> like for mean, intelligent creatures yeah. <laughs> oh no i would call it an infestation of college students <laughs> <laughs> it's true but yeah i mean the the fawns are way more
2: i prefer fawns to college students <laughs> I had to pick one. You don't know. You've never met That's one before. That's true. That's very true. Mm-hmm. I can imagine, though.
0: Yeah, they seem they they seem like like I said they'd be fun for a few weeks, uh-huh. just having a rad time all the time. But uh-huh. eventually, you know, you got to go to work, and
1: yeah. you run out of booze, oh and then you got, God.
0: and then they keep just like taking your booze that you bought, and they don't like, pay you back. Maybe
1: they're, they're like Australian college students. I, so <laughs> I did a semester in Australia, and uh. And, uh, you know, we had orientation with a bunch of other Americans who, um, were also doing the exchange program. And then after about a month or two, the Americans, the, you know, like, the frat boys and the sorority girls who were big partiers were like, We fucking can't keep up! These Aussies <laughs> want to go out every fucking night and get hammered!
0: Those Australians, they're all descended from criminals. They know how to party. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Australia was a penal colony. All the white people in Australia, well, not all of them now because people have immigrated since then, but
2: Originally. for a
0: good long time, all of the white people in Australia were there because England had been like, you have to leave, please. You're too, you party too hard for England please leave
2: and they were like fine we'll start our own country
0: <laughs> blackjack and hookers and
2: giant spiders.
0: <laughs> not that giant but larger than in england mm-hmm. um
2: kangaroos
0: yeah um
2: that sums up my whole knowledge of australia giant dangerous animals
0: uh but
2: and small dangerous
1: animals Yeah.
0: Also, small, like the that little tiny jellyfish that'll Mm -hmm. like put you in the hospital for weeks. Are you
1: thinking of a blue ring octopus, though? No. No.
0: Um,
1: Box jellyfish.
0: Irukandji is what they're called. I don't know
1: that one. They're like
0: so. They're not microscopic, but they are so small that they're almost not visible. Like they're shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very difficult to see them with the naked eye, and they like cause this really intense neurological thing that just basically causes you to be in extreme pain for several weeks and there's nothing that they can do about it. Like you have to be confined to a hospital. Most people live, like it's very uncommon to die from this, but it just, it just fucks up your, your nerves in such a way that you're just like in unbearable pain For a long, long time.
2: So the little jellyfish was like, Oh, you're in my space. I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to make you feel all the pain. I'm just going to make you suffer. Yeah. (laughs) That's what you get for being in my bubble. (laughs) Get out of my bubble.
0: Yeah, and the worst part is, like, they were trying to come up with, like, some kind of net that they could put off the shore or something like that, but they're so small that Um, you essentially have to put, like, mosquito netting around the whole beach. And so, like, thankfully they're not super common, and I don't think this happens all the time, but it does happen, and it's terrible. And unfortunately, medically, there's just nothing they can do about it. You have to just ride it out. So
1: do they wow. they must just have to monitor when those swarms come in and be like, do not go in the water.
0: Yeah, I'm really not sure what their, like, life cycle is or where they typically live, but yeah, I've, I've just heard about people... Like suffering the effects anyway we got way off Sorry. Australia so
2: fawns. <laughs> fawns.
0: <laughs> yeah I, I like the idea that they're just a, uh, uh, a a mooching culture that <laughs> follows humans around and just like cats they've sort of domesticated themselves, but they're too intelligent to like be pets so they just hang around human civilization in the hopes of like getting free garbage they're they're like uh, raccoons but party raccoons
1: oh oh no maybe, maybe they're too dangerous
2: maybe they do have sinister motives because a lot of references of things with satyrs and fauns a lot of them have like demonic connotations and i'm not just talking about like christian influence satan stuff i mean like like their portrayal in in media and games and things a lot of the times they're like Demonic sort of creature. But isn't I do that, think that
1: Christian Yeah, uh, I do think that's propaganda? just a,
0: a symptom of Christianization. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, there's a lot, I, I don't know why this is. Maybe it's because goats themselves are just kind of mischievous and kind of break things and climb on things.
1: I thought but, it was, like, specifically the de- demonization of Pan. That well, Christians
0: yes, did. but there's other, like, horned deities uh-huh. in, uh, like, early. Um, Early European religions that had some kind of like, uh, like fertility or harvest deity. Maybe it's because the horns are like phallic. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> No, I mean like that was a common thing. Like,
1: well, Pan definitely was horny.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: uh. But um, yeah, so I, there's some kind of connection with like horned deities and like fertility and harvest and partying that's seems to be pretty pervasive throughout Europe and then Christians just like co-opted. They were just like, ah, that's Satan now. <laughs> By the way, that's what Satan looks like because Satan makes you horny. So,
1: <laughs> and so we don't like horny. And yeah,
0: Unless of course,
1: for making kids.
0: The the influence of Christianity is really intense throughout Europe. So, I think the, all the sinisterness associated with, like, horned deities or horned beings is just because the Christians were like, we don't like these pagan gods, we don't like these horny pagans. Yeah. That's what Satan is now, by the way. These dirty, dirty, horny boys.
2: Things were rough in the Middle Ages, so they yeah. just needed something to take their frustration out on.
0: Basically, yes. <laughs>
2: uh, they got good again, though, in the in the Renaissance... A lot of Renaissance art portrayed fawns as being sort of symbolic, but also, you know,
0: I imagine that's because we got really obsessed with like, uh, like Greek classical yeah, imagery. Yeah, whole
2: romanticism uh-huh. thing happens. So. Yeah,
0: we like rediscovered ancient Greek and ancient Roman uh like iconography and. Uh, My timeline might be a little off on this, but I know there was a period where like Arab scholars were translating a bunch of old Greek medical texts and philosophy. And then once it was translated into um, uh, Arabic, then Europeans got a hold of it. And because of trade with the Middle East they started translating it into, like, Latin and French and stuff like that. So it all, it took a while, but it slowly filtered through into Europe, and that's when we kind of, like, figured out, because in these so-called Dark Ages, we forgot how to do aqueducts and how to do roads, and, you know, after the fall of Rome, like, humans backtracked a bit as far as like technological advancement and literacy and stuff like that but then we rediscovered all of this shit like several hundred years later so i think that's why we got obsessed with greek and roman stuff because we could read those texts all of a sudden again and they were talking about you know Hmm. their mythology and then the renaissance and yeah yeah yeah
2: the Renaissance was nice though, because they also gave us more lady seder
0: art,
2: uh, mm. so that's nice. There wasn't a lot of it before then. I,
0: I feel like it's just because painters were, you know, horny. They were all men. <laughs> they, well,
2: yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's not a bad thing though. No,
0: I, I'm I'm I agree with you. It's we need gender equality amongst all of our mythological beings, but uh, I I always question the motives of like artists in the middle ages
2: well this was during the renaissance okay during the renaissance too like no it's evil in the renaissance they were like maybe it's evil but it's also romantic it's also
0: pretty (laughs) oh look at it aesthetic the hashtag Uh aesthetic
2: symbolism yeah so fawns aren't really
0: that hard to figure out no all their their bits are pretty reasonable they're mammalian and they've got when we features. had,
1: when you said this was going to be our topic, I was like, I, I can't really think of anything to object about. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're pretty plausible. They got hairy, uh, legs.
0: Yeah, hairy legs with hooves, and they got some horns. But otherwise, they're just dudes who like to party and ladies who like to party. And
1: Different. non-binary people. Who and like non-binary to
0: binary. people, uh, non-binary fawns. Yeah.
2: Different from goatmen, though. There's a lot of goat, men discourse goat man discourse. Goat mean man, like
0: the cryptid, the goat man. Yeah,
2: like yeah, man, like a spooky Goatman. man. Do you right? know? Do you know about the Goatman man from Maryland? Yes, I do. It's a very cool story. Do you
1: know about it? I'm guessing it's probably similar to the Jersey Devil, or is this the one do that you know... makes the it speaks like your friends and tries to tempt you to? Yes,
0: that's the one. It it uh like mimics voices mm-hmm. and makes you think that like. People are calling to you, or like will infiltrate your friend. It, oh, so it's, I've is heard it of, the Goat
1: Man of the Bridge that Shane and uh, and Brian? No, Ryan, no, uh, it's a different Goatman. Man. The, the
0: Maryland Goat Man is arguably a shapeshifter. Like it oh. can infiltrate your your party and mimic voices and make itself look like a regular human. And so we better watch you. out
1: for it today. Yes, we, you're... we're
0: going hiking later, so we're definitely going to get eaten by the Goat Man.
2: You're a Marylander, so maybe you can correct me if this story is wrong, but I heard that the Goatman of Maryland was once a scientist at the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. Oh, you mean where I work? Yeah, where (laughs) you are! And apparently he was doing experiments on goats and something like went horribly wrong, <laughs> and then he got mutated to be like half goat, and now he just wanders the woods with wow. an axe. I don't know. It, <laughs> that's it's great. Um, it's great though. So I think that's
0: a more recent. Like that's like circa the '60s or '70s. That's when that story happened. But there, I think the goat man, like the goat man concept, has existed longer than that. And that was just kind of an ad hoc story because they're. There's a lot of military bases in Maryland, and there's also a lot of, like, research facilities and things like that. Like, um, I think Bloodworth Island had a lot of, like, animal research being done on it. it, There's just just all kinds of stuff. We're near Washington, D.C., so a lot of government-funded stuff is in the area.
1: Now I'm going to yeah. think about this stupid goat man when I'm in my creepy-ass building after dark and nobody yeah. else is in there.
2: Oh my gosh, the goat man's definitely there when you're there. Ah! <laughs> you're right. doing... In that goat, fucking goat. tunnel! You're doing chicken research, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, You're, careful. The, you're definitely going to accidentally yeah.
0: summon the goat man. Yeah.
1: you
2: are yeah. doing Friday the 13th chicken sacrifices, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh Maybe. Man. Just, just, if, if you ever feel like he's there, you know, just pull a shame, you know, just be like, fight me, goat man! <laughs> fight me! This, this is, is my <laughs> research center! <laughs> All
0: right, maybe we should have a separate episode on Goatman, because that's uh, kind of a different thing. That's a much more modern, weird, that, that's more like a cryptid. Yeah. Though. Yeah. That's definitely, none of the Goatman stories are positing that it's a real thing with a physical what? body.
2: I mean, it's definitely real. It's definitely <laughs> real, Torah. Remember that.
0: <laughs> when you're in your building alone at night oh, in the dark, it's and so spooky. The concrete starts. I aging. wish I could take you, you on the- a
1: tour on of it because it is the most. It, it's like from the 1930s or 1940s. It's, it's so run down, and there's that fucking tunnel. Oh, if you hear the clippity clop of hooves in the tunnel, you God know what it damn it, is. Kim <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay.
2: Be careful he has an axe. Oh. <laughs> uh okay, you
0: get you can find us at Facebook.com slash the unnaturalists. You can find us at twitter.com slash unnaturalists and at Theunnaturalists.tumblr.com. We will not be posting Goatman discourse. <laughs> uh, our editing help and hosting help was provided by Bristol Podworks. Uh, Ronnie is great. If you want to start a podcast, consult Ronnie. Uh, I guess I should put information on how to contact him. Uh, BristolPodworks at gmail.com. He can help you with all your podcast related needs. Uh also if you want to give us money for some reason, uh you can do so at ko-fi.com slash the And follow us. Yeah, follow our social media things. I I work hard, I post things on there. I hate social media, but I'm doing it for you. <laughs> and for the goat man. <laughs>